The following episode contains depictions of violence, brutality, and bloodshed, and may not be suitable for all. Listener discretion is advised. This is Old Mountain Media. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp.com and PrideCounseling.com. Stay tuned for an exclusive offer for listeners of this podcast. Goodness, what a day. George! Hey, Georgie, you in there? I better not find another needle in your arm. Come on, George! Open up now! What? what? No, just leave me be. I'm sleeping. You ain't sleeping, George. You owe me two months' interest. You promised me, and now, now I'm coming in. Damn it, George, look at you. You're a goddamn mess. You got that needle in your arm again, I see. Don't you know that morphine ain't the way to solve your problems? You got a good job. You got a gal. Hell, you even got me looking after your funds, even though you're not paying your interest as you should. Oh, Billy, Billy, what do you want? Can't you see I'm in no state for visitors? Yeah, yeah, I sure can see that. Well, it just happens I brought a couple of associates with me to help you get back on your feet. Now, I've given you plenty of time, and I've been lenient. If you ain't gonna pay me today, then these, um, friends of mine, well, they're gonna show you another way I get things I want. So, you gonna pay me? Or is all your money now stuck up in your arm? Billy, I... Billy, I don't have any funds. This is just how I get over my pain. You know the life of a porter is rough, lifting bags all day, walking up and down stairs, barely making enough for one meal. And Susie, she's she's carrying my child. At least, I think it's mine. Come, come on, Billy, just give me one more week. One more week, eh? I don't think so, my friend. Hoffman, Hadberg, get on in here. We gotta remind good old Georgie here that there's a way to do things and there's a way not to. Billy, Billy, no. Oh, okay. Okay, I can get you the money by tomorrow. It's it's in my room at the Brunswick. Hmm. At the Brunswick, you say? Well, what, um, what, what room there, my friend? Uh, one, 102. It's all under my bed, I swear. All right, now. Now we're talking. Here's what we're gonna do, Georgie. We're going to let you get dressed, clean yourself up, cover up that needle mark, you damn fool, and head on over to the Brunswick. I'm going to give you about one hour. That's it. One hour. In that time, you're going to get the funds for me and meet me at the cigar shop on F Street. You know where that is now. Yeah, yeah, I know it, Billy. Okay. Hoffman and Hadberg are going to head there now while I got another errand to run. Some other fool not paying his debt. 
He's heading out to sea, if you know what I mean. You do know what I mean, don't you, Georgie? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I swear, Billy, I'll get the money. Just don't don't drown me or nothing. Ah, chin up, Georgie. This is your chance to save your own neck. You just head on over, do as I say, and meet me at the shop. They're quick. Let's see now. Which floorboard was that again? Ah, oh, got it. That damn Billy. I'm not giving him this stash. He can go to hell. I'll I'll just have one more poke to calm my nerves. Just one dab of the China Dream. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There. Oh, there we go. Sleep. What? What's that smell? Smoke? I gotta get out of here! Billy! Billy, damn you! I know this was you! Billy! This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever felt like you're in a tunnel? The sides are closing in on you. You're unable to escape the overwhelming feelings of unhappiness, anger, worry, or fear. I have, many times. Over the years, I've tried to solve my own problems, lean on myself, and suppress the depression of my past and the anxiety of my future. Then I decided to do something about it. And while I'm still a work in progress, I know that without getting help, those invisible monsters would reach for any opportunity they can to consume me. They still do. But with online therapy, I'm conquering those monsters. And it feels good. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is, therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work. Maybe you're not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better. Because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. 
and special offer to Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash PNW. That's betterhelp.com slash PNW. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. I'm your host and writer, Russ Blackmore, and this is Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest. Season 2, Billy Gold, the Ghoul of Gray's Harbor. A series about one of the most prolific serial killers in United States history from the small town of Aberdeen, Washington. A killer that nearly got away with murder. Nearly. This is Episode 4, Butcher of the Bay. Billy Gold used fire to scare his victims into submission, or to take their lives. On top of the brutal shootings, tortures, and dismemberments, Gold was a fan of burning down the buildings of his enemies, or making sure a debtor was caught up in the flames, allowing him to keep what little of their money he already had. He would use various methods including kerosene, alcohol, and his favorite, electrical fires, fairly easy to set in the early 20th century due to knob and tube wiring, nothing like we have today. His patented invention, as he fondly called it, consisted of shoddy configurations and extension cords of sorts broken apart to send sparks in every direction. In 1908, Gold burned down a saloon whose barkeep had started keeping sailor funds for himself. Lee Williams had become a competitor, and Gole would have none of it, making sure that he was the depository in town with whom the sailors would keep their pay only. Gole would rather brag about his method of arson. I used electricity to set off the fire. I had the damnedest time. I fastened a cord to the light circuit, but the son of a bitch hadn't paid his light bill, and it was turned off. I had to run a wire in clear from across the street to make it go. In this same building where the saloon was, Gole also kept his cigar shop, which was facing bankruptcy. Gole would claim that a stock of cigars had gone up in flames that he still had to pay for, and thus, he killed two birds with one stone. No more cigar shop bankruptcy, and no more Lee Williams. He had set the fire ablaze in broad daylight, once again displaying his arrogance. The lawman simply looked the other way. The fire nearly burnt down the entire town of Aberdeen. From the back of the Alaska Saloon on F Street, all the way to the Brunswick Hotel where George Griswold was retrieving his money for gold, the fire consumed multiple buildings, taking lives in its wake. Cinder and ashes floated over the town like a light snowfall, and the skies were gray with scenes akin to an apocalyptic fallout. The two lumber mills shut down, sent their combined 300 workers to help fight the fire, but were too late. The flames had destroyed most of the eastern part of Aberdeen. Four saloons, 
two blacksmith shops, a small house, and a storage building were destroyed. The Alaska Saloon, a favorite amongst the mill workers, burnt to the ground. In response to Gohl's arson, which no one could prove, but most clearly knew it was him, the city council developed an action to prohibit the construction of anything but first-class brick buildings. As you drive through the dark town of Aberdeen today, many of those brick buildings still stand. Rumors spread that Gohl was responsible, and it became a well-known fact that he was holding his own court, acting as judge, jury, and executioner for those that crossed his path. And yet, despite everyone knowing that George Griswold died by the hands of Gohl, the actual courts and lawmen looked the other way, again. Billy Gohl was invincible, and he knew it. No one would stop him. Over a two-year period, more than two dozen fires would take place, and most were attributed to Goal. But while Goal's reputation with shop owners worsened, many sailors still considered him to be a dogged advocate. Perhaps this was due to a sense of loyalty through union affiliation, or perhaps this was due to fear of what might become of them should they challenge his authority. Nationalism became something that Gold would hold on to, claiming that only true Americans, born of the land, should have rights to owning ships. The irony was not lost on those around him. Gohl, having been born and raised in Germany, was an immigrant himself. Many of his gang were first-generation citizens. Gohl claimed to have rightful ownership of the land as an American citizen, and his ignorant approach to what America was started to build a flame of hate in the townsfolk's hearts. He considered himself a patriot, a man of the red, white, and blue that belonged to him and him alone, and he took out his prejudice on the immigrants that worked the docks and the boats, and those that worked the streets. As Gohl took money from those that entrusted their wages to him, he showed an utter disregard for the humanity that built the town, and in fact, built the nation. When a member of the crew of the boat called the Sokol was assaulted, Gold used it as an excuse to go after the ship's captain, most likely as a simple show of Union strength. He complained to federal authorities that Captain Henningsberg wasn't a citizen, and therefore couldn't captain an American ship. The charge resulted in an investigation by a United States naturalization examiner. 
Goal also looked into the wreck of the Charles E. Falk that crashed upon the Capolis Rocks 12 miles north of Grace Harbor. He contacted the Department of Justice and insisted that there be an investigation. Once again, Goal was hiding in plain sight, bringing in authorities to his town even though he was responsible for the many deaths. His arrogance was unending. He was unhinged. He charged the captain and first mate with careless navigation, and the Department of Justice concurred with his assessment of the sailors being treated with substandard respect and support, being tired, wet, and hungry, and being forced to march two miles to camp in an abandoned farm rather than a hotel that sat nearby. The ship was sold at auction, and Gull's hungry eye oversaw the transaction. For this action, he once again gained the favor of the sailors, and once again, kept their money safe. Little did they know that soon they would either be maimed, shanghaied, or even killed. Goal was the essence of a true narcissist. Hey, uh, Billy. Open up the safe. I've got my deposit today. Well, the safe's over there. You know the combination. Why don't you go ahead and enter it yourself? What are you... Dismemberments. Goal had lost touch with reality, or else he had created his own reality. 
a reality in which nothing was impossible for him as long as he got what he wanted. The town was seeing its darkest days yet, and deaths were as common as a cloudy day in Aberdeen. Lumber mills were being shut down. Workers were escaping the terror and running to towns such as Centralia and Chehalis to work the railways, or else up to Tacoma and Seattle to try their hands on the docks with a safer reputation. But much less profits as the towns were set in the Puget Sound Inlet, far away from open sea, unlike Aberdeen and Hoquiam. And with a decline in town citizenship, money was disappearing at a rapid rate. Saloons were shutting down, brothels went from 40 call girls to 10 or less, and the darkest of the wharf spread from the docks to the housing projects, where crime was considered an honest way of living. After all, everyone had a right to make their own keep, right? As Gol continued using his trapdoor to Shanghai, and even murder those who put their trust in him, he was unaware of the trapdoor opening up beneath him, the trapdoor of his loyal gang ready to turn on him. Gol was keeping most of the funds for himself. He insisted that as leader of the gang, the spoils rightfully belonged to him. Gol's gang had finally had enough, and one of his gang members was ready to turn him in. Jakobsen, one of the original members of Gol's gang and a regular accomplice, had a pet dog, a terrier. Gol, lacking any kind of gentle disposition or compassion, hated the dog. In fact, every time Jakobsen came around with the dog, Gol would complain, insult, and even threaten to kill the harmless canine just to ease his own comfort level and rid himself of the little beast. Two months after the fire that took out the Aberdeen Ship Company and the Zalasco Block in East Aberdeen, the dog went missing. Jakobsen was not horribly concerned as the dog would often wander off and make its way around town. After a few days, one of Jakobsen's associates asked him if he had found his dog. Suspicious, he searched for the animal and ran into Gol, who told him he had seen the dog aboard the steamer called the Centralia down at one of the mill docks. Convinced that a sailor was trying to steal the little terrier, he went to a judge and demanded a search warrant for the ship. He was granted the warrant, oddly enough, and searched the ship, finding nothing. With the search taking over five hours, the shipment of lumber was delayed, and a handful of workers lost their day's wages. Gol strolled down to the ship and insisted that he saw the dog on the upper deck. Adding yet another five hours, the ship was held so the dog could be located. The shipment of lumber was not transferred to land for another day, and the financial cost of the event left men without jobs unable to pay their rent, and coming to Billy for another loan, of which he was happy to grant, with an exorbitant amount of interest added on to each loan. Several weeks after the search of the Centralia, another floater drifted ashore near the banks of the Wishka River and directly under the Sailors' Union headquarters and Gol's office. But this time, it wasn't a man. This time, it was a dog. A little brown dog. A terrier. Jakobsen's terrier. The disappearance of the dog appeared to be part of Gol's plan to delay the lumber delivery on the Centralia, trapping it on the docks and delaying the ship from departing the harbor. Jakobsen was enraged. He knew Gol was responsible for the death of his dog, 
and he knew that Gol delayed the shipment of lumber. Gol had planned the whole thing, and this time he was going to be stopped. Jakobsen went to the authorities and turned in his so-called friend. He told the police of the arson of the Alaska Saloon, the trap door in the office, the clubbings on the wharf, and the murders at the mill. Two detectives were assigned to investigate Gol, but just as they were starting to gather evidence and have results that would prove his guilt, they were drawn off the case. The police were in the pockets of the politicians, and the politicians were in the pockets of the union, run by Gol. If Gol's ambitions were to make the town of Aberdeen his own, then he had succeeded. He owned the town. Deputy Sheriff Jacob Miller from the nearby town of Montesano was assigned to spy on Gol, as his little town had not felt the heat from Gol's gang. Miller followed Gol around, but with his eyes everywhere, Gol was made aware of his stalker. Easily swayed, Miller became one of Gol's confidants, one of his tools. He kept Gol abreast of the movements of the mayor and police of Aberdeen, those that were still on the up-and-up and the plan to catch Gol in the act was thwarted by corruption once again. Jakobsen left the area as soon as he realized his plan to turn Gol in was futile. His whereabouts became unknown, although one would not be surprised to find him face down, floating in the bay. This episode is sponsored by Pride Counseling. We live in a world of mystery, of unanswered questions, of constant bombardment from endless opinions and mostly from questions within ourselves. I've taken advantage of online therapy and have seen the benefits as a professional, a father, a spouse, and a friend. And without the help from online counseling, I would most likely still be stuck in the ruts of uncertainty and bleakness. We all struggle with our own true nature at one point or another, or we know someone who has. Therapy can be the difference between happiness and overwhelming darkness. Pride Counseling is affordable, private online counseling for the LGBTQIA community. You can get access to licensed, trained, fully accredited counselors and therapists that are LGBTQIA friendly. These counselors and therapists have at least three years of experience, at least 2,000 hours of hands-on experience, and are qualified and certified by their state's professional board. All you need to do is go to pridecounseling.com slash pnwpod. Fill out a questionnaire, get matched with the counselor who is perfect for you, and you can start counseling today. It's more affordable than in-person counseling. And if you can't afford counseling, there is financial aid available that you can apply for. You get unlimited 24-7 messaging with your counselor, meaning you're connected with a counselor the entire time via your phone, or computer, and you can schedule live video, phone, or text sessions with your counselor as well. With Pride Counseling, you're not wasting time traveling, and if you don't vibe with the therapist you're matched with, you can switch. Best of all, you connect from the comfort of your home. Half the battle of getting into counseling is getting to the counselor, and Pride Counseling eliminates that hassle. Plus, a lot of people in the LGBTQIA community are not comfortable talking to a therapist in person out of fear of discrimination, or perhaps they just don't have access to a therapist that specializes in what they're struggling with. With Pride Counseling, you can connect with an LGBTQIA counselor from anywhere. And as a special offer to Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at pridecounseling.com slash pnwpod. 
That's P-N-W-P-O-D. Again, that link is pridecounseling.com slash P-N-W-P-O-D. Thank you to Pride Counseling for sponsoring this podcast. tired of gold. He was ready to put an end to the slaughters and build the town back up, embracing the once golden era of the town that had now become the ruin of the Pacific Northwest sea towns. He could not be purchased. He could not be turned. Mayor Ben raised over $10,000 when he was campaigning specifically to bring down Billy Gold. And now that he was mayor, it was time to live up to his promise to his constituents. If only all politicians would do that. On one of Mayor Ben's outings to the Green River Hot Springs, yes, that's the same Green River that Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, would slaughter over 85 women near Seattle in the 1980s, a gentleman by the name of Patty McHugh told the mayor of the exploits Cole had bragged about in his bar, the Grand Saloon. Upon his return to Aberdeen, he set up an investigation but when Gohl found out about the mayor's plans, he ordered one of his last remaining loyal gang members by the name of Hadberg to assassinate the mayor and put an end to the inquest. But Hadberg never got the chance. Klingenberg, we gotta get to Hoffman's cabin. He's got too much information on us. Come on, get on board. We gotta get up to Indian Creek. All right, I'm coming, Billy. But say, isn't that Hoffman there? Hey, hey, hey Hoffman, what are you doing? Uh, come give us a hand. Where are you guys headed? And why at this time of night? You know my cabin is just up yonder. How about you give me a lift? Hey, besides, I got a nice jug of whiskey waiting for me. Why don't you fellas join me? All right, climb aboard, Hoff. Me and Klingy here, we were just heading up to see you. But we'll take you anyway and shoot back some of that whiskey. Hey, hey, Billy, why are you stopping? Hoffman, you know too much. You know what we've done and it's time for you to join the others down below in the drink. What? Billy, for God's sake, don't kill me. Don't kill me, please. You damn baby. Why don't you die like a man, whimpering like that? Any last words? 
Yeah. I, I... Billy, he was going to say something. What if it was about Hadberg? Eh, who cares? He's better as fish food anyway. Jesus, Billy. We gotta be sure. Oh, yeah? You wanna join him? No, no, Billy, no. I- I'm sorry. I'm I'm just feeling the heat of the mayor is all... Yeah, well, I got it all under control. So shut your trap and help me throw Hoff overboard. Now, let's get up to Hadberg's cabin. It's next to Hoff's. I want you to shoot him. Simple as that. Think you can handle that, Klingenberg? Yeah. Yeah, I can handle that, Billy. After Goal and Klingenberg spent a night in hiding at Hadberg's cabin, they decided to make their way back to their small boat. Hadberg joined them, but Goal knew that shooting him at the cabin would raise too much of a ruckus. The three jumped aboard their boat and set off, Goal in the stern, Klingenberg in the bow, and Hadberg sitting in the middle facing forward. According to Goal's later account, once they were in the middle of the river, Klingenberg drew his pistol and fired two shots in Hadberg's face. According to Klingenberg's later account, Gold jumped on Hadberg's chest and fired a rifle into his forehead. They threw the guns overboard as well as a handful of tools they had taken from the launch and rowed ashore to a nearby dock where they climbed out of the small rowboat. They shoved the boat out into the middle of the river and it drifted out of sight toward the mouth of Indian Creek. Goal made Klingenberg bind Hadberg's dead body to an anchor and shove him over the edge of the dock. We had to do it, Klingenberg. I'm staring right into the penitentiary. We had to. In a move suggestive of Goal's confidence in his ties to the police, or at least his ability to bluff, he and Klingenberg ate a light lunch that day with Joe Searles, a police officer. Shaken as he was by the murders they'd committed, Klingenberg somehow got through the lunch without giving them away and when they ran into Captain Smith of the A.J. West on the Heron Street Bridge and he asked Klingenberg where he'd been, Goal answered for them both. We were just on a little trip, but the launch broke down and we spent the night on the tide flats. Klingenberg was a loose end and both men knew it. The next night, Klingenberg went to the union office to pay his union dues. Goal invited him to go hunting. While along the shore, Goal asked him if he had told anybody who he was going with. When Klingenberg said he had, Goal was quiet. Goal abandoned his plan to kill Klingenberg, and they headed back into town, meeting up with another cohort, Vladimir Nelson, at the Eagle Saloon. They were over-anxious to get Klingenberg alone. Goal asked Klingenberg to head to the bay with him. Klingenberg declined. He had some good idea in his head that Goal wanted to try to get him into a place where he could put lead in him. Klingenberg went back to the A.J. West. Goal followed him there, saying he had some good things on the string. Well, what is it? The crew from the schooner Resolute got paid off today, and I'm going down there. And you're coming along. I'm going to see an old mate. He cashed out about $200 on his last payday. And if he's alone on board, I'm going to have him. You better not, Billy. 
I've been on that schooner, and the captain is always on board at nights. Despite Klingenberg's warning, they went to the Resolute that night, where Goal and Klingenberg waited for him while he went aboard to shake down his mate. All they walked away with was the ship's compass, but Klingenberg was nervous. Knowing full well that there had been several moments when Goal could have killed him, he shipped off days later as a donkey man on the AJ West for Santa Rosalia, Mexico. Donkey men tended to be the donkey engine, the auxiliary steam engine used to winch cargo and sails that likely got its name from the original use of donkeys to power the winch. Klingenberg might have believed he was leaving Aberdeen for good. Goal went to the Grand Saloon and pulled McHugh aside. Well, Patty, we landed those fellows last night. Hoffman was pretty tough. We planted them in the mud with anchors for pillows. I guess they won't tell any more tales. I got wet to the waist when he threw Hadberg overboard. The water splashed all over me. He told McHugh that Klingenberg had helped him. McHugh went to Mayor Ben. When Goal was questioned about the disappearances of Hoffman and Hadberg, he said Hadberg had stolen money from him and left for Alaska in a fishing boat. Later, he adjusted the story, saying the man had accepted a job there as a caretaker of a lighthouse, making $75 per month. Dean and his men dredged more than 90 square miles of Grays Harbor with poles and grappling hooks, without luck. Perhaps Gold thought he had gotten away with another murder, but he was reported to be a bit edgy. One Saturday morning, a couple of weeks after killing Hoffman, he had an altercation with kids who were enjoying a little coasting on Broadway Street outside his house. To stop them, he scattered ashes on the walks. The boys swept off the ashes and continued sledding. He nailed slats across the walks to stop them. The boys pulled off the slats, infuriating Goal. Goal finally called the police, whom it is said he is not at all times so anxious to see, according to a piece in a paper. Then Charles Hadberg's body was discovered. On February 3, 1910, George Lightfoot and his brother were on their way home in a small boat along Indian Creek. It was low tide and Lightfoot saw a man's head in the water, about 18 inches below the surface. After rowing ashore and telling friends who lived close to the shore, he went into Aberdeen and told the police. Lightfoot said the head, quote, pillowed on an anchor, end quote. Chief Dean, Detective K.Y. Church, and Undertaker Randolph took a launch out to where Lightfoot said he found the body. The 25-pound anchor holding down the body had been stolen from the Caldwell brothers' logging camp. The gun used to kill Hadberg was found 30 feet from the body. They took Hadberg to the morgue for an autopsy. Chief Dean and Detective Church went to the Union Hall to arrest Billy Goal. As for Bessie Goal, her story is somewhat unknown, but what we do know is this. The fate of her husband was coming to realization, and somehow she managed to escape the grips of Aberdeen, living a solitary life away from Billy, and eventually dying in the town of Walla Walla, Washington, where she was buried in the Mountain View Cemetery. Did she escape her husband's clutches, or was she running away from the law and the inevitable end to the couple's reign of terror? We will never know the true fate of Bessie Gole, but we will know the true fate of Billy.
Next time on the final episode of Season 2 of Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest, Goal is held without bail. His fate has caught up to him, and now it's time to face the music. But will he get what he deserved? Will the endless amount of murder and bloodshed be pinned on him? Or will his arrogance and ties to the politicians play a part in releasing him once again to the public? That's next time on the Season 2 finale of Billy Goal, The Ghoul of Grays Harbor. To learn more about Billy Goal, check out the book Ghoul of Grays Harbor by C.J. March, available wherever fine books are sold. Special thanks to C.J. March for their contributions to this particular episode. If you like the show, please give it a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends and your family. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Ghana Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also on YouTube, on the channel Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest. Dialogue used in this episode is not necessarily accurate, but it is based on extensive research and events portrayed through the episode. Don't forget to visit our sponsors, BetterHelp.com and PrideCounseling.com. Visit the links in the show notes to receive 10% off your first month. Visit BetterHelp.com PNW and PrideCounseling.com PNWPod to learn more and receive the same discount. Today is the day to make changes for yourself, for your loved ones. Don't put it off. For Old Mountain Media, I'm your host, Russ Blackmore, writer, producer, and sound engineer. Special thanks to Kira Rugen for arranging our closing music. You can learn more about Kira and her music at kirarugen.com. See you next time as we dive deeper into the world of Billy Gold, the ghoul of Grays Harbor. <laughs>